in this episode of the I Want to Party with Bob Bobcast. This wedding, though, it ends up more like the Game of Thrones Red Wedding in some ways, at least for the Queen. Welcome to episode 126 of the I Want to Party with Bob Bobcast, and welcome to a very grim Halloween special episode. Yeah, we're going to talk all about the Brothers Grimm in this episode, Jacob and Wilhelm Grimm. Uh, we're not going to talk too much about the history of the Brothers. Mostly, we're going to be talking about the stories, the folklore, those nightmarish tales of terror that the Brothers Grimm lovingly gathered together in 19th century Germany. The Brothers Grimm did gather together some pretty, uh, you know, grim stories, I would say. It's kind of a perfect topic for the Bob Tober Halloween special of 2021. So sit back, relax, let down your hair. Rapunzel, did you get that little Rapunzel reference? And prepare to be scared, or at least a little creeped out, at the levels of wanton cruelty and violence in some of these Grimm Brothers fairy tales. Oh my gosh. Yeah, they're pretty brutal. They can be. The brothers did tell some very nasty stories. You'll see if you'll just dare to stick around for this episode. Well, first up, why don't we hear another edition of the Celluloid Catacombs with Carolyn Morissette. And this time around, Carolyn is going to be talking about the 2005 Terry Gilliam take on that dynamic Germanic storytelling duo, the barely watchable Brothers Grimm film. And I do want to note, I'm very pleased to say, this edition of the Celluloid Catacombs is brought to you by Wicked Cat Clothing. Yes, that Wicked Cat Clothing, those makers of the finest in horror, paranormal, and Halloween-themed clothing. Well, here's Carolyn with her take on the Brothers Grimm film. Please stay tuned. Hey everyone, it's Carolyn back for another installment of the Celluloid Catacombs. Since Bob is covering the Brothers Grimm, I thought to myself, Self, why not talk about the 2005 Terence Gilliam film of the same name? And now I'm learning from my mistakes. So the movie starts in 1796, when a young Will Grimm is at home with his mother and sick sister. His brother Jacob was sent out to sell their cow to get money to pay for a doctor for their sick sister but he comes back with magic beads. We see that he's not the most popular person at that moment, and then it's 15 years later. The boys are now men, and they are also charlatans who dupe people as they supposedly rid towns of supernatural fare, which is actually the work of their bumbling sidekicks. When a French general discovers their devious ways, he enlists them to find the missing local children of the nearby town of Marbaden and he also wants him to find another set of con artists who seem to annoy him. If they don't find the kids or the con artists, they're sentenced to death. The forest surrounding the town is enchanted, and everyone living there is terrified. The people of Marbaden think the French triggered the forest to turn against them. The brothers assure the villagers that they'll help them, but they need a guide, and the town suggests a lone, despised trapper turns out that that trapper is a woman named Angelica who has a history with the forest. Her sisters were the first to disappear when they were young, as well as her father. So Angelica adds her own plan to this quest to figure out what happened to her family. 
When they come across a tower in the enchanted forest, known to house a doomed Thuringian queen, the answer lies within its impenetrable walls. It's up to the Brothers Grimm to trust Angelica, find the children, and defeat the supernatural forces they once mocked. Brothers Grimm stars Matt Damon as Will, Heath Ledger as Jake, Lena Headey as Angelica, Monica Bellucci as the Queen, and a bunch of other familiar faces you've seen on the British Office and Game of Thrones. Like I said, it was my suggestion to talk about this movie because I was excited that Bob was doing grim fairy tales. I grew up with these morbid stories of morals and had a record that I would play over and over again as a kid. My favorite fairy tale is The Juniper Tree, a particularly gruesome story about an evil stepmother, cannibalism, and deception. Unfortunately, my enthusiasm wanes with the Brothers Grimm film because aside from a beautiful production, it's a narrative mess. A muddled story, expensive effects, and fights between Gilliam and execs Harvey and Bob Weinstein caused major delays that plagued the production. In fact, Gilliam stopped production on the Brothers Grimm, made another movie called Tideland, and went back to the messy fairy tale once things settled down. It also creates a mishmash of the original Grimm fairy tales, creating an Easter egg hunt to figure out what stories were portrayed in the film. The Gingerbread Man, Little Red Riding Hood, Hansel and Gretel, Rapunzel, and Sleeping Beauty all get swirled into one another with the backdrop of the French occupation of Germany during the French Revolutionary Wars. You might as well become lost in the gorgeous sets and visuals since the story will lose you. You've got Will and Jake's campy antics along with their goofy sidekicks, and the unfortunate character of Cavaldi played by Peter Stormare, who I really love, but he couldn't really do much with this role. At one point, I would have rather cleaned tile grout with a toothbrush than finish this film. Yet I soldiered on, because I'm doing a public service by letting you all know what a fail the Brothers Grimm is. The only good thing is seeing the late Heath Ledger do his thing. Ledger's charm comes through playing Jacob, and was also a treat to see Lena Headey before her Game of Thrones persona took over. She was also bullied on set by Gilliam, which isn't surprising since he's always seemed like that uncle you don't want your friends to meet because he's guaranteed to say something offensive and play dumb. The Monty Python veteran who championed the fantasy film genre with Time Bandits, Brazil, and The Adventures of Baron Munchausen is a perplexing old goat of a dinosaur, which is a shame since he directed some of the most interesting films out there, and we won't even talk about the Weinsteins, so... Anyway, the final verdict is, don't watch the Brothers Grimm for accuracy about the famous German storytellers. It's pure fantasy, a melange of tales, and the production had a rocky history. However, it's still an interesting addition to the cinematic fairy tale fantasy genre, like the trippy The Company of Wolves, the strange 2015 film Tale of Tales, or the Tom Cruise classic Legend. That's all I've got today. Thanks so much for joining me, and take care out there. Can I just say something to you, Carolyn, real quick? I, I second that emotion. I love Terry Gilliam, okay? I gotta say that for the record. Ever since his little animation bits all around the skits on Monty Python's Flying Circus. You know that British show? Uh, now that's what I call a dead parrot. Yeah, that show, that's the show. 
Here's a little trivia for you, too. Terry Gilliam was the only member of the Monty Python troupe that was born in the United States. So at one point, he did relinquish his citizenship to the United States to become a British citizen. Indeed. Well, I got to say, Terry Gilliam, he really pooped the bed with the Brothers Grimm film. Uh, Carolyn and I are absolutely in complete agreement there. Visually, it's a stunning movie. It's really dark, kind of creepy. I love it. Story-wise... Oh my God, it's all over the place. It's a mess. It's absolutely a mess. And I haven't seen that movie in years. I remember when I watched it, I thought, like, what is going on in this movie? Who's what and how, what? Okay, I don't know what's going on. It's a total mess. Well, speaking of things that are not a mess and will help you look your best, your spooky best, that is, Wicked Cat Clothing. Yeah, let's talk about them for a second. Celluloid Catacombs was brought to you by Wicked Cat Clothing. Why don't we hear a few words from them right now before we move on? Wicked Cat Clothing was founded by Stephanie Long, who designed and founded the Wicked Cat Clothing line because of her love for Halloween, horror movies, the paranormal, and cats. Stephanie wants to bring her love of these things to others with apparel and accessories that have unique designs. Wicked Cat Clothing is your store and your source for horror, Halloween, paranormal, clothing, accessories, and more, 365 days a year. And right now, if you visit wickedcatclothing.com, you can get 30% off of your order by using code PARTYWITHBOB30 at checkout. There is no expiration date. Simply browse and select the ghoulishly groovy Wicked Cat Clothing design of your choice. And when you check out, use that code. Once again, it's PARTYWITHBOB30. That way you'll get 30% off of your entire order. Wicked Cat Clothing, your source for horror, Halloween, paranormal clothing, and more, 365 days a year. Well, thank you so much to Stephanie and Wicked Cat Clothing for your support of the Bobcast. Don't forget, use that code PARTYWITHBOB30 or 30% off of your order at wickedcatclothing.com. Let's move on. Here's how this episode, this compendium of creepy tales from the fairy tale crypt is going to come together for you. We're going to talk a tiny bit about who the Brothers Grimm were, a little bit about their history, and a little bit about their motivation as far as why they put all these folk tales and stories together for the children of the world. Then we're going to talk about four of the more popular Brothers Grimm stories. We're going to talk about Hansel and Gretel, Rapunzel, Little Red Riding Hood, and Snow White. And I think you probably know all those stories, don't you? Well, you think you know all those stories. That's a thing. If you've only seen or heard the Disney version of some of those stories, you have missed out on some of the most glorious, gory, and ghoulish best stuff in those stories. Now, here's a little twist to this episode. Ben Johnson, San Diego, California's finest author and filmmaker, is joining the Bobcast in this episode. Ben wrote the Web World trilogy of books, and he created the rock and roll thriller film Fanboy. Well, thanks for coming on board, Ben. I really do appreciate it. Ben's going to tell his best recollections of those stories I just mentioned, then I'm going to come in after him and kind of fill in the blanks as far as where the stories get kind of gnarly in some ways. So Ben's going to tell the story from the perspective of someone who knows the stories as you know, they are a cultural phenomenon. Absolutely. 
These stories have become part of the American psyche in some ways, I think. Uh, we grew up with them. We saw them in cartoons. We saw them in Disney cartoons, right? We read the little golden book versions of these stories as kids and maybe even as adults. These stories all live inside of us. It's kind of like a cultural memory, I think. So Ben's going to tell the story. I'll come in. I'll add the gory details that make the stories not so kid-friendly in some ways. And at, at this time, I do want to mention another story. It's not a Brothers Grimm story, but it's one of my favorite examples of how a story can kind of have two different sides to it, right? You've got the very kid-friendly side, the Disney kind of story side, and then you've got the original version before it got cleaned up and made kid-friendly. That story we're going to talk about, it's a perfect example in this case. It is Pinocchio, okay? Uh, oh, boy. Pinocchio is rough. In Carlo Collodi's original version of Pinocchio, right away... Pinocchio kills Jiminy Cricket, okay? Basically, he, he accidentally steps on and kills Jiminy Cricket. And then, about halfway through the story, it was originally a series of stories presented in a children's magazine or something like that in Italy in, like, the late 19th century, I believe. So at one point in the story, that remember the cat and the fox that kind of tricked Pinocchio into doing all kinds of stupid stuff? Well, the cat and the fox hung Pinocchio. They were trying to kill him. And they took great glee watching Pinocchio kick his little wooden legs as he was struggling and dying up in this tree. It was brutal. And then I remember reading one version of the story, and I don't know if this was something I read on the internet that was totally wrong, but they were going to chop him into firewood or something like that. Oh, my God. So Pinocchio... A lot of horrible stuff happens to him before he does become a real boy because he does actually become a real boy at the end of that story. We're not going to go into those details for now. We're here to talk about the Brothers Grimm, obviously. I just wanted to make the point that some of our most beloved and gentle fairy tales were downright kind of scary and very brutal at one point in their history, usually at the origin point of their history. So yeah, here we go. So between Ben and I, we're going to do Hansel and Gretel, Snow White, Little Red Riding Hood, and Rapunzel. Then near the end of the episode, I am going to read the entire story of The Robber Bridegroom from the Brothers Grimm collection of stories. That is an incredible story. There may be some Brothers Grimm stories that are more brutal or scarier or something like that, but this one's good. It is actually my favorite because it's pretty gnarly. It's like... Oh my God, This they gave this to, for kids to read back in the mid-19th century? This was in a children's books, and I think you need to hear it. So, yeah. Uh, we are going to hear a couple songs in this episode. These are the songs. Murder by Death joins the Bobcast once again with their version of Little Red Riding Hood, which was originally by Sam the Sham and the Pharaohs. Uh, they have a great version of that song. And then we've got the Australian band Body Jar. They've got a little song called Fairy Tales. It's going to kind of kick everything off here with this episode both songs are very fitting yes they are uh, lastly we are going to hear from two more sponsors in this episode sticker junkie and midwife made naturals so please pay attention you might save some money on the fine deals that those sponsors have to offer you in this bobcast episode yeah well here we go let's hear a few words from sticker junkie then we'll get on to a little history of the brothers grim please stay tuned The most wonderful time of year is here. That's right. It's October and Halloween is right around the corner. 
Our good fiends at Sticker Junkie celebrate Halloween in style with special promotions all month long during this spooky season. But first, let me tell you a little bit more about the monstrously magnificent custom stickers you can have made with Sticker Junkie. All of Sticker Junkie's stickers are made of thick vinyl with a durable gloss laminate and have an estimated seven plus years of outdoor life. The stickers of Sticker Junkie are made right here in the USA in the San Diego, California area and your custom sticker order from Sticker Junkie includes free shipping within the United States. If you have a business you'd like to advertise, a band you'd like to promote, a podcast, a website, a blog, even something as simple as a slogan you'd like to let the world know about, simply go to StickerJunkie.com to start the sticker making process today. Upload your pre-made artwork or use the custom sticker generator at StickerJunkie.com. The process is very simple and you'll have the highest quality stickers in your claws in no time at all. To make the great deal you will get having your stickers made with Sticker Junkie even sweeter during the month of October, use the promo code HAUNTED to save $10 off any order or use the promo code HALLOWEEN to save 10% off any order when you order your custom stickers from StickerJunkie.com. Sticker Junkie, all treats, no tricks when it comes to making the custom-made stickers you crave. And happy Halloween from all of us at Sticker Junkie. Well, welcome back. And remember, please use codes HAUNTED to save $10 off your custom sticker order or code HALLOWEEN to save 10% off of your entire custom sticker order with Sticker Junkie. Just go to StickerJunkie.com. You can do it now. So why don't you do it now? There you go. Well, who exactly were the brothers Grimm? They were Jacob Ludwig Carl Grimm. He was born in 1785 and died in 1863. And Wilhelm Carl Grimm, he was born in 1786 and died in 1859. It's very interesting. They were born a year apart, and they also died very close to each other. These brothers were very close, as you'll see. Uh, Jacob and Wilhelm were born in the town of Hanau, which is located in modern-day Germany near Frankfurt. The Grimm brothers' father died in 1796 when the boys were 10 and 11, respectively. That very much impoverished the family, and their father's death was very influential on the brothers' later life, specifically relating to how they ended up collecting all these German and European folktales into the Brothers Grimm stories that we know today. At the very young age of 11, Jacob Grimm became the man of the house with 10-year-old Wilhelm. They were kind of partners in taking care of the household. Their grandfather was around, though he was pretty old and he didn't really help too much as far as the family went, but he constantly drilled into the two boys the benefits of being very industrious and just working nonstop, working very hard in order to support the family, especially. That might kind of give you an idea of how the Grimm brothers got the inspiration to share so many of those kind of cautionary tales about slacking off, like you shouldn't slack off, it'll get you into big trouble. I think that came from their grandfather. So, well, two years after their father, the brother's grim grandfather did die, and that left the boys more or less to fend for themselves. The boy's aunt 
was able to raise enough money to send both boys to a school in Castle, Germany, where their very industrious nature paid off. Both boys graduated at the head of their classes. However, while they were at school, the boys' social status was very much inferior to the other higher-born and very wealthy students. And that status of theirs, their social status of being more or less poor kids, plagued them through their entire lives, really, through their entire academic careers especially. After they went to school in Castle, the brothers attended university in Marburg, where their social status barred them from any extracurricular activities, which in the end, you know, they didn't get to go out and do beer pong and all that stuff. So it worked out very well for them in the end because basically they couldn't do anything. So what did they do? They studied constantly. Well, while they were at university, they were studying law, by the way, they became good friends with their professor, Friedrich von Savigny, Friedrich introduced them to Ludwig von Arnhem and Clemens Brentano, all three of which were German romantics. And these German romantics believed that German literature should revert to a kind of simpler or more traditional form, okay? Here's where the folktales start to come into the brothers' life in a big way. Jacob and Wilhelm put all their energy into studying old German literature. That helped them get through the depression of being poor and being treated poorly at school because of their social standing, getting into and studying all these stories, right? Eventually, the two brothers took jobs as librarians back in Castle. They didn't get paid much, but they were able to devote a lot of their time towards research and gathering more folktales, okay? That led to the Brothers Grimm publishing several books between the years of 1812 and 1830 when they worked at that library. The first book being Kinder und Hausmarchen. Yes, that was a collection of 86 folktales. Did you like my German accent, by the way? I think it's pretty good, to be honest with you. Uh, the direct translation, more or less, of Kinder und Hausmarchen is fairy tales or folk tales for kids, essentially, basically. Uh, Kinder und Hausmarchen was followed by two books about German legends and a book about early literary history. So there you go. I mean, that's basically the start of the Brothers Grimm stories that we ended up knowing and loving very much. Uh, without getting into the minutia, the brothers continued to collect stories and also, they ended up having a lifelong goal between the two of them of writing a German dictionary. And it finally did get published in 1854, though Wilhelm died in 1859 and Jacob died in 1863. Uh, and then they lived happily ever after. Oh, well, they can't actually, they're dead. So uh, there is a bunch of stuff between the lines with the Brothers Grimm and their history and more about how they came to be these collectors and writers of stories, fairy tales, folklore. There's a lot more to the why side of the Brothers Grimm story, which I'm not going to get into. It's very interesting, but it would be like a several episodes worth of material type of thing. But I did want to give you one little tidbit that's related to the personal stories of the Brothers Grimm. There is a lot of German nationalism in the Brothers' inspiration for gathering these folk tales and these stories into their books. Uh, you know, kind of like Volk this and Volk that, that sort of thing. The brothers were essentially trying to preserve and glorify the German cultural stories of the past. And they would even take other stories that were more of a general kind of European folktale and more or less Germanize those stories and make it like a German thing. Yeah, and I gotta say, 
in any way, shape, or form, I absolutely despise nationalism. I think that's what's, other than religion, one of the things that's caused massive amounts of human deaths throughout history. It's absolutely horrible. And I will tell you another thing about the Brothers Grimm stories. There are some seriously anti-Semitic stories in some of these children's tales. There's one called The Jew Among Thorns. And oh my God, that is the most anti-Semitic thing I have ever read. And, you know, here's where I want to point out. The Germans have a very long history of being anti-Semitic. I can't speak for Germany today, so if you're in Germany listening to this, I'm not trying to speak for you today, but Hitler, it didn't start with Hitler. The anti-Semitism in Germany, especially that you saw so plainly and obviously with the Holocaust in the mid 20th century, that had been festering. Those sentiments had been festering for a very long time in Germany. So yeah, uh, oh boy. Let's move on to the stories themselves. I do have a lot more to say about the Brothers Grimm, but let's get to the stories. Let's get to the Halloween part of this episode, in other words. First, though, let's hear a song. Let's set the stage for these stories that are coming up. This is Melbourne, Australia's finest storytellers through songs, Body Jar. The name of the song is Fairy Tales. Please stay tuned.
Welcome back. It is time for some stories of the Brothers Grimm. First up, though, San Diego master storyteller Ben Johnson is going to introduce himself, and then he's going to get right to telling the story of Hansel and Gretel. Here's Ben. Okay, here we go. Uh, my name is Ben Johnson. I'm the author of the Web World Trilogy, which I just completed and released at Verbatim Books, uh, and it's online also. Um, it's uh, the urban fantasy saga of a kid and a cop and a, a rage-filled bartender and follows them through the mystical world of the webs. And I'm also the creator of Fanboy, the movie that was released uh, at the beginning of this year and showed at the uh, South Bay Drive-In and is on Amazon Prime. Anyway, I'm here to tell you my version of Hansel and Gretel or what I remember of it from, uh, I don't believe I've read that in quite some time. So here we go. Hansel and Gretel uh, live with their dad and then I believe uh, their mom dies and some stepmother comes into it and those evil stepmothers and you know that they're no good. So uh, the stepmother wants the kids to get out of there as much as possible and uh, she just keeps sending them off into the woods and Hansel, I I believe it's Hansel, uh, is the one that comes up with the idea of leaving the breadcrumbs behind so they can make their way out. But of course, breadcrumbs are tasty. The birds eat the breadcrumbs. Hansel and Gretel wander through the woods for I don't even know how long, long time, and then come up to some candy house and they're starving. The birds haven't eaten the candy house, so they start eating the candy and uh, some lady comes out and says, you can't be eating my house, come on inside. And and then uh, they eat a bunch of food because it makes them fat and yummy and then the the witch throws them in the oven and then he's gonna eat them but doesn't get time to because is the huntsman in this one does the huntsman come out and then save him or is it that i think the huntsman comes uh yeah so i mean somebody saves him i thought it was the huntsman and then they go back and and uh oh we're yeah, and they're, how do they deal with the mom? This, I, Like I said, I haven't read this one in quite some time. So I'm sure they got to run off the mom, right? Uh, <laughs> the stepmom? So, uh, yeah. But they anyway, they do not become food. And the witch is vanquished. And they go home and live somewhat happily ever after, considering they have a dad that sent them off into the woods at the bequest of a stepmom. So there we go. That's my version. Hansel and Gretel, or uh, Hansel and Grethel, as the Brothers Grimm collection that I own, as it's called in that book. Uh, Who do you think the main bad guy was in that story? The witch? I don't think so, though she was bad. I mean, I would say it's definitely the stepmother and the father's not far behind. And here's a quick note before I get into the story a little bit more. The original version of the story has Hansel and Grethel's real mother who wanted the kids gone, not a stepmother, but the Brothers Grimm changed that mother into a stepmother to make the cruelty of what she did seem less shocking, right? Like a real mother of these children abandoning them to death would be very unnatural seeming and very shocking, right? But a stepmother, a wicked stepmother, that's not so hard to believe. Well, here's some aspects of the story that I wanted to tell. Hansel, Grethel, their father, their stepmother, lived in a cottage in the woods. The family had very little food, so the stepmother convinced the father to abandon the kids in the forest. 
And what she did is said, hey, let's go gather some firewood. And then the parents would take off. The kids would get completely lost and they would die. Problem solved, right? Two less mouths to feed in the household. The father didn't like the idea very much. So he resisted and said, no, no, we can't do that. That's too cruel. But the stepmother would not leave him alone about it. So finally he said, okay, just to get you to stop bothering me, uh, we, we can kill the kids. Oh, nice dad, huh? Meanwhile, Hansel and Gretel, they overheard their parents talking about leaving them to their deaths in the forest. So Hansel came up with a plan. He'd gather some pebbles together, and when his parents led them out into the forest for them to die, he'd leave a trail going from their house to that part of the deep woods. Well, sure enough, that pebble trick did work. The kids showed up at the house the next day, much to the stepmother's chagrin. Yeah. The father was very happy, though. Oh, why did I decide to kill my kids in this way? Oh, my God, it's a miracle. They're back, yada, yada. Well, the stepmother, again, would not stop bothering the father and convinced him, we have to kill these kids. So off they went again to gather firewood in the forest, in the deep, dark forest, that is. This time, all Hansel had were breadcrumbs in his pocket, and that's what he used to make a trail to lead them back home the next day. Well, birds promptly ate the breadcrumbs, so they had no roadmap home. So Hansel and Grethel became very lost in the forest, and they stumbled around for around three days until they saw a cottage deep in the woods. That cottage was made out of bread and cake and had glass windows that was made out of sugar. Ooh, yes, delicious, yeah. So the starving kids, what did they do? They started eating the house. Then an old lady came out and said, Hey, why don't you guys come inside? I'll feed you. You don't have to eat my house. I've got great food for you inside. Well, she fed them a bunch of pancakes and gave them a couple beds to sleep in. The kids passed out. Okay, not very nice, though, this woman in this food cottage. The next morning, this old woman, who was actually a witch, right, woke up Hansel and put him in a cage and told him, I'm going to fatten you up in this cage, and then I'm going to boil you, and I'm going to eat you. Oh, yeah. The witch woke up Grethel and said, get up, go get some water so we can boil this kid and I can eat him. Uh, Grethel was crying and protesting and screaming, and so was Hansel. The witch didn't care. There was no one around to help them. It seemed like they were doomed. So, for some reason... The witch said, well, you know what? Instead of boiling the boy first, I'm just going to cook this girl in the oven right now and eat her right now. So he said, Grethel, get in the oven now. And Grethel said, I don't know how to get in. Can you show me how to get into the oven? And the witch said, oh, my God, you're such an idiot. And here's how you do it. And stuck her head in the oven. Grethel ran behind her, kicked her butt straight in the oven, slammed the door, and cooked the witch alive. Yes, the witch did howl horribly until she was burned to ashes, as it says in a direct quote from that story. Oh, boy, yes. The kids ransacked the house. They took all the valuables they could find, which included pearls and precious gems, that type of thing, and they made their way home with the help of a giant white duck. And I don't know where the duck came from or why, but at some point they found a giant duck and it took them home or helped them get home. Well, their father was very pleased to see them when they got home and thought, oh my gosh, I'm so glad you survived. And uh, they lived happily ever after. Well, what about the stepmom? Where did she go? Oh yeah, I didn't mention uh, 
at the end of the story, as kind of an aside, it just says, oh yeah, the stepmom, she died when the kids were gone for those few days or whatever. She died. How did that happen? There's no details about it. Well, I mean, good, I guess. That's okay. Uh, very conveniently, she died so they could live happily ever after, I should say. So the end, uh, that one's not all that gruesome. But I think that stepmother element is the true horror in that story, don't you? I do, definitely. The part about burning the witch alive, that was also pretty gnarly, but yeah. Uh, and I'm all, very sorry to say, Ben, there, no, there was no huntsman that rescued the children in that story. Well, here's our next story. It is Rapunzel. Here's Ben to tell the first part of that tale. Let's do Rapunzel. Okay. Starts out. King and queen. Rapunzel's not on the scene yet. They live in a castle, and then over a wall is this fantastic garden. And the the wife, the queen, she wants, she sees this rampion. I don't know what rampion is. It's an herb, a lettuce, something, I don't know. So she wants this rampion so bad, she can't even handle it. So she makes the husband jump over the wall, king, go jump over the wall and get the rampion. And so he does, and he comes back and he gives it to the wife. She's like, oh my God, this is the greatest thing I've ever eaten in my entire life, you know? I, I think one of the details is they want a kid and they can't have a kid. Um, and then, so he goes back over, get more rampion, and he get, of course he gets caught by the witch. And the witch says, yeah, I'll let you take the rampion, but I get your, you're gonna have a child and I'm gonna get it. And for some insane reason, the king agrees to this thing. And then in the story, they don't even talk about him breaking it to the mom or anything. So they just like, they get pregnant and they give the kid away. It's like, well, this lady wanted this kid, but apparently she didn't want it as much as she wanted some Rampion. So <laughs> Rampion is a powerful drug. So, <laughs> so, so he, uh, they give up Rapunzel to the witch. And that's the last you hear about these two people, you know, which is rightfully so. They're awful. What are you talking about? So anyway, Rapunzel gets locked up in this tower and grows her hair. She, one day, a huntsman sees her beautiful tresses and he he tells her to let down her hair. And that's the only way he can get up is let, letting down her hair. So he climbs up the hair and she's crying, what, what are you doing in here? He's like, I love you, I wanna save you. And she's like, okay, yeah, that sounds great. Um, so we'll make some plans and come back and you can save me. And then the witch comes in the night and she thinks it's the the, the prince or whoever, the savior and uh, and and it's obviously not. So the witch cuts off her hair and sends her off to live in some barren desert place. So the prince comes back thinking that it's Rapunzel and the witch has tied the hair to a bedpost. So he climbs up the hair and like, let's go, babe. And she says, not so fast. And she throws him off, I think, throws him off the tower and two spikes go into his eyeballs and he cannot see any longer. And he wanders the world in a blind daze until somehow miraculously he comes across Rapunzel in the middle of the desert. And she, I don't know, with her great love, heals his eyesight and they live happily ever after. So that is, I think that's a pretty close telling of Rapunzel. Am I wrong? I don't really need to go into too many details about Rapunzel because Ben more or less did nail it. There's only one difference really between Ben's telling and the story that's in my collection of Brothers Grimm stories. And it was radishes in my storybook, not Rampion, but I am gonna say this, 
Rampion, you can eat the leaves and you can also eat the root. And the root of Rampion is very radish-like. So that's a very much a technicality. I should actually probably have left that out. Ben, you're right. Never mind. Uh, we'll skip that part. I would like to add one thing to the story. When the witch cut off Rapunzel's hair, when she found out that the girl was letting a prince come into her tower, the witch also beat Rapunzel about the head with many blows. Well, that witch was not very nice, was she? And in the story as well, near the very end, Rapunzel, when she was stuck out in the desert, she gave birth to twins. Somehow, it never mentioned a lover's tryst between the prince. I, I don't know how that happened. And then the prince, when he stumbled upon Rapunzel, she healed his blindness with her tears, you know, through the power of love. Wasn't there a song called The Power of Love from the 80s? Yeah, there probably was. And also, another interesting fact is, the witch at the end of the story, it says the witch was never seen again. So she just, she was gone. No justice was dispensed in this story towards the bad character. Well, again, though, or was the real bad character the queen and the king, Rapunzel's parents? I think they're the main bad people because they they traded their daughter for some radishes or rampion or whatever. Wow. Okay, well. Let's take a quick break. We're going to listen to a song that will prepare us for our next story. Here's Murder by Death with their version of Little Red Riding Hood. Please stay tuned. Hey there, Little Red Riding Hood. You sure are looking good. You're everything a big bad wolf could want. Listen to me. Little Red Riding Hood I don't think Little Big Girl should Go walking in the spooky woods alone What big eyes you have The kind of eyes that drive old man So just to see that you don't get chased I think I ought to walk with you for a ways What cool lips you have I think you ought to walk with me and be safe I'm gonna keep my sheep suit on Till I'm sure that you've been shown That I can be trusted walking with you alone Little Red Riding Hood I'd like to hold you if I could But you might think I'm a big bad wolf so I won't What a big heart I have The better to love you with Little Red Riding Hood Even bad wolves can be good I'll try to be satisfied Just to walk close by your side Maybe you'll see things my way Before we get to Grandma's place Little Red Riding Hood You sure are Looking good, you're everything a big bad wolf could want. Little Red Riding Hood, you sure are looking good. You're everything a big bad wolf could want. Little Red Riding Hood has to go to her grandmother's house. 
with some food, muffins or some stuff like that. I don't know what. So she's by herself going across through the woods to get to her grandma's house to get to give her these muffins. Her grandma's sick or the muffins will miraculously cure her. I don't know. But um, so she, get, she the wolf sees her on the way and figures out the best way to get to Little Red Riding Hood is cut her off at the grandma's house. And so he goes and eats the grandma and then Little Red Riding Hood makes it there and then says, oh, wait, you don't really look like Grandma Ma. You got huge teeth and nose and claws and fur and all this stuff. And, and uh, the wolf has a clever retort for all of those things. And then is about to eat Little Red Riding Hood and she gets miraculously saved by the huntsman again. This guy, it's either the prince or the huntsman. And the huntsman is generally a little more reliable than the prince. And... Uh, and so he stays with the huntsman. I don't know what he does. Gets grandma out. So I guess the wolf just swallowed her whole. And then, and then everything's groovy again, right? Here we go with Little Red Riding Hood. And thank you, Murder by Death, for the song. What a great version of that song, right? The story of Little Red Riding Hood it starts out with Red's mother giving her a bottle of wine and a nice little bit of meat to take to her ailing grandmother, who lives in a cottage a half hour away from the village where Red and her mother lived. Red sets off. She meets a wolf on the way. Oh, hello, wolf. Well, hello, Red. Uh, That kind of thing. The wolf starts asking a lot of questions like, hey, uh, where are you going? What is that you're carrying there? And Red, thinking the wolf is an okay person or wolf or whatever, says, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll tells him everything literally everything yeah i'm going to my grandmother's for this little meat and this wine yeah red riding hood was very naive apparently well while red riding hood is talking to the wolf the wolf starts thinking "Ooh, you know she looks very delicious i think i'll eat her but now she's talking about her grandmother maybe i'll eat the grandmother too so the wolf decides to trick red riding hood to delay red riding hood i should say and the wolf delays her by saying hey look at all those pretty flowers out in the forest you should go check those out and red riding hood says oh i will thank you very much and she gets lost amongst these beautiful flowers for like hours and hours and meanwhile the wolf hightails it straight to the grandmother's house right when the wolf gets to the grandmother's house he knocks on the door the grandmother says, who, who is it? You know, and the wolf says, oh, it's me, Red Riding Hood. And, you know, the grandma says, oh, well, just let yourself in. It's fine. The door's open. You know, and the wolf comes jumping in the house, jumps on the bed, swallows the grandmother whole with one gulp. Yes. And <laughs> how does, must have been a big wolf, right? I guess so. Well, the rest you probably know. The wolf dressed up like the grandmother, laid in the grandmother's bed. Uh, Red Riding Hood comes in. What big eyes you have, the better to see you with, yada yada. In the Brothers Grimm version of this very old folktale, the wolf swallows Red Riding Hood whole as well in one gulp. And this is where it gets really gruesome, as if that's not bad enough. There was a huntsman. Ben, here's here's your time to shine. There was a huntsman walking by the old woman's cottage and he heard the wolf snoring very loudly. The wolf was sleeping off the meal of Red Riding Hood and her grandmother. Uh, The huntsman thinks, oh my God, that old lady doesn't sound very good. Listen to that snore. Maybe I should stop by and see if she needs any help or if she needs anything. So the huntsman goes into the cottage and sees the wolf passed out in the grandmother's bed. You know, just laying there, uh, you know, big 
stomach bulging with the bodies of the two women. (laughs) So the huntsman apparently had been looking for this wolf for a long time because that wolf had a reputation in the area of being quite the scoundrel. The huntsman goes, okay, well, I'm going to shoot and kill the wolf. At, At last I found you. Then he goes, wait a minute, maybe I shouldn't shoot the wolf. I might kill the old lady and Red Riding Hood who are likely inside of this wolf. And how he knew that, I don't know, I guess, again, by the size of the wolf's stomach or something like that. So the huntsman decides, oh, I'm going to use these scissors and I'm going to cut the wolf's stomach open and see what's in there. And so he does. He takes the scissors, he cuts the wolf open and out pops Red Riding Hood and her grandmother still alive, though the grandmother was barely alive. I should note that. Uh, The wolf, meanwhile, is still asleep still passed out even though he just had basically stomach surgery without any anesthesia yeah how did he sleep through that i don't know well it's a story i guess that's why uh little red riding hood the huntsman and the grandmother then decide we got to get rid of this wolf so what do they do they pile a bunch of rocks in the stomach in the cut open stomach of the wolf and wait for him to wake up Oh, the wolf gets up. Oh my, what's going on? You know, it has a bunch of rocks in his stomach, tries to run away and can't because he's so weighed down by the stones in his stomach and falls down dead as if the stomach surgery wouldn't have killed him in the first place. Well, anyway, the huntsman skins the wolf. The grandma drinks the wine, eats the meat. Little Red thinks to herself, I'll never stray from the path again. The end, happily ever after, yada yada. I will say, though, there is another version of this story where the grandmother and Red Riding Hood trick the wolf into falling into a trowel of water and the wolf dies by drowning. I like the uh, the stomach surgery and all the rocks. That version is a lot more brutal, gruesome, and uh, yes, more fitting for this Halloween episode. Very good. Well, here's Ben with our next story, and it is Snow White. Snow White's young, so the mom, uh, so I, uh, okay, the mom's still alive. Snow White's not around yet. She sees something white, red, and black happening. Oh, a rose on a field of snow or something. Yeah, that's what it is. Rose on a field of snow and, I don't know, a blackbird or something. So she wants a kid with skin that's white as snow, lips that are as red as a rose, and hair as black as the crow or night or something. And then, uh, so she has this kid, but she dies when she gives birth to Snow White. So the king, after a couple of years, takes a, a wife, and that's the stepmom. And the stepmom, for a while, everything's great because Snow White is really young, and she does the, the stepmom does a mirror thing. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Mirror says, man, you are smoking, lady. Nothing to worry about. But then Snow White gets about, I don't know how old, probably in the book she's about nine, but realistically you would want to think at least 16 to 18 somewhere. And then uh, and then the, the mom says, okay, who's the fairest? And they go, ah, you, you just got edged out by a Snow White lady. So so she takes Snow White and uh, she, she tells a huntsman, you know, this, this is, must be some other huntsman because he takes her out and he's supposed to leave her there and murder her in the middle of the, the some, you know, forest, which he can't do. So he leaves her somewhere and she's discovered. Oh, no, no, no. She, so she wanders off and she finds this house with seven beds and seven meals and seven things and it's chairs and all this. So she t- tests everything out, kind of Goldilocks and the Three Bearsy, and then uh, eventually falls asleep in one of the beds. So the seven little guys come back, the seven dwarves, and they, they look around. And they're like, hey, what's, what's all this? Uh? And they find her finally. They're like, oh, God, 
you know, they 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 would have probably done away with somebody else, but she's just this little girl, and she's like cute, and they like her, and so they, if you clean up around our house, well, you can stay here as long as you want, but don't let anybody in the house because your stepmom's gonna come looking for you eventually. So Snow White's kind of hanging out, and then some lady comes and she lets her into the house, and something happens. I forget what the first thing is, but. And then the, it, and she gets poisoned and is on the floor. And the gnomes come back, or the the dwarves come back and fix her back up. And she's feeling feeling better. And they're like, dude, seriously, don't let anybody in the house. What are you doing? You know, like you're this lady wants to kill you. Like, don't let anybody in the house. So some other lady comes out, and it's the stepmom in a different disguise, and she has this poisoned comb. And she's like, oh, don't you want to comb your hair? And so I can't resist the urge to comb her hair and like come on Snow White don't take the comb so she combs her hair and it's poison and she she you know, passes out again and she's almost dead they think she's dead and they come back and they get the comb out and they get her back and they're like okay we saved you what are you doing don't let anybody else in the house it's crazy talk and the lady redoes herself again and they go off to work and whistling and doing their thing and the stepmom comes again and she has an apple and Snow White and she but what there's half of it apple is white on this half red on this half so that to, to prove it's fine the stepmom takes the white half and says, ah look i can eat this apple i'm fine so it says okay great because this, this part looks really good it's all red and then, and then she falls down and she's dead she is dead she's not like, like baking dead anymore i come back the 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 dwarves are all so sad she's dead and everything and uh something happens where you know, they're they're mourning her and they're about to bury her. Oh, but they can't put her. They don't want to put her in the earth because she's too pretty. So they want they put her in a glass coffin. And then some guy, I don't know if it's a prince or probably not the huntsman because he's the guy that was originally supposed to murder. Um, so somebody comes out and sees her and is like, Oh my gosh, we got. I gotta. I don't even care. I just want to take her back to my land and keep her. And 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 she's just so beautiful. I don't even need to do anything with her. I just like wanted to be there. And they take the glass thing off, and then he, like, I don't know, does the Heimlich, and the, the apple flies out. And she's back. She, she lives again. The prince takes Snow White back, and they get yeah, the bloodshed, and then they, they live happily ever after, I think, uh, something like that. So that's as close as I can get. But Snow White just never would stop opening that door. She's just too generous, like, wanted everyone to come in and have a good time and have some apples and, and comb their hair and stuff. And not the right way to go about it snow white snow white and the seven dwarves and yes this is another one of those wicked stepmother type of stories the story went just as ben told it though i will say this the first time that the wicked queen or the wicked stepmother visits snow white at the seven dwarves cottage she gives snow white like this type of corset she puts it on snow white and ties it way too tight which suffocates and kills snow white then the dwarves come back home find her passed out on the floor they wake her up, bring her back to life. Then the poison comb thing comes in, and finally the poison apple. Now, that poison apple, that really did kill Snow White, didn't it? Oh, yeah, it sure did. Uh, the dwarves, just like Ben said, they, were, they wouldn't bury her in the ground. She was too pretty, and also her body was not decaying after it sat out for like three days or something. So they go, well, maybe we better not bury her. So we're going to put her in this glass display case. We're going to stick the display case near our house in the forest. And one of us is going to guard Snow White's glass coffin for all time. Wouldn't you know, along comes a prince. He sees Snow White, falls in love with the corpse and decides he can't live without her. So he convinces the dwarves 
let me take her back to my kingdom where I can put her on display and, you know, I don't know what he's going to do with it from there and I'm not even going to say what I'm thinking. Uh, yeah, it gets a little weird. It definitely does. Soon after, the prince had Snow White loaded onto the shoulders of one of his human servants. He couldn't even put her in a cart or anything like that, like a horse-drawn cart. No, he had one of his people carry it on his shoulders. So, yeah, well, that's not a very nice prince, I don't think. They start heading off the uh, servant, like, trips or something like that. And what a miracle, the apple that was in Snow White's throat that killed her came popping out. And Snow White's alive. Oh, my God. And guess what? And Snow White fell in love with the prince right away. Well, they went back to the prince's kingdom. Right away, they planned a big, huge wedding. And guess who got invited to the wedding? Snow White's wicked queen of a stepmother. Yes, that evil woman is at the wedding of Snow White and the prince. And she is seething with rage that Snow White was still alive. This wedding, though, it ends up more like the Game of Thrones red wedding in some ways, at least for the queen. As the queen enters the wedding of Snow White and the Prince, some people come up to her with a pair of red-hot iron boots. They force them onto her feet, and they force the queen to dance herself to death. Yes, with everybody watching her die this horrible death, which she deserved. Justice was served, and apparently in this case, that justice was best served hot. Yeah, in case of her shoes, at least. Uh, well, let's take a quick break for a few words from Midwife Made Naturals. Then we'll get on to the final story of this episode. Please stay tuned. Made in the USA with all natural ingredients, the supplements and homeopathic remedies offered by Midwife Made Naturals are designed with one goal in mind, supporting you through every stage of womanhood. Midwife Made Naturals was founded by Paula Tipton Healy, a California licensed midwife, certified homeopathic practitioner, and nutritionist. Paula has attended over 2,000 births in her 35 years of midwifery and started Midwife Made Naturals to help women of all ages attain vibrant health and balance through homeopathy and nutrition. Products such as the Happy Birthday Homeopathic Remedy are designed to promote balance for needed hormones before childbirth, while products such as the Afterbirth Bliss and Milky Way Remedies are designed to help bring balance to your body after childbirth. For more information on the amazing products of Midwife Made Naturals, go to midwifemadenaturals.com. There, you can view the full line of remedies and supplements that are non-GMO, all-natural, vegan-friendly, and designed by a midwife with your health and balance in mind. Here we are with our final story of the episode, and that story is The Robber Bridegroom. It's definitely one of the more gruesome and gory of the stories of the Brothers Grimm, and it's also probably my favorite Brothers Grimm story. Here we go. Once upon a time, there was a miller who had a beautiful daughter. When she came of age, he wished that she was provided for and well married. He thought, if a respectable suitor comes and asks for her hand in marriage, I will give her to him. Not long afterward, a suitor came who appeared to be very rich, and because the miller could find no fault with him, he promised his daughter to him. The girl, however, did not like him as much as a bride should like her bridegroom. She did not trust him, and whenever she saw him or thought about him, she felt within her heart a sense of horror. One time he said to her, 
You are engaged to marry me, but you have never once paid me a visit, the girl replied. I don't know where your house is. Then the bridegroom said, my house is out in the dark woods. Looking for an excuse, she said that she would not be able to find the way there. So the bridegroom said, next Sunday, you must come out to me. I have already invited guests. I will make a trail of ashes so you can find your way through the woods. When Sunday came and it was time for the girl to start on her way, she became frightened, although she herself did not know exactly why. In order to mark the path, she filled both her pockets full of peas and lentils. At the entrance of the forest, there was a trail of ashes, which she followed, but at every step she threw a couple of peas to the ground, to the right and to the left. She walked almost the whole day until she came to the middle of the woods, where it was the darkest, and there stood a solitary house. She did not like it because it looked so dark and sinister. She went inside, but no one was there. It was totally quiet. Suddenly a voice called out, Turn back, turn back, you young bride, you are in a murderer's house. The girl looked up and saw that that voice came from a bird, a very deep-voiced bird, apparently, which was hanging in a cage on the wall. It cried out again, Turn back, turn back, you young bride, you are in a murderer's house. Then the beautiful bride went from one room to another, walking through the whole house, but it was entirely empty and not a human soul was to be found. Finally, she came to the cellar. A very old woman was sitting there, shaking her head. Could you tell me, said the girl, if my bridegroom lives here? Oh, you poor child, replied the old woman. Where did you come from? You are in a murderous den. You think you are a bride soon to be married, but it is death that you will be marrying. Look! They made me put a large kettle of water near the fire. When they have captured you, they will chop you to pieces without mercy, cook you, and eat you, for they are cannibals. If I do not show you compassion and save you, you are doomed. With this, the old woman led her behind a large barrel where she could not be seen. Be quiet as a mouse, she said. Do not make a sound or move or all will be over with you. Tonight, when the robbers are asleep, we will escape. I have long waited for an opportunity. This had scarcely happened when the godless band came home. They were dragging with them another maiden. They were drunk and paid no attention to her screams and sobs. They gave her wine to drink, three glasses full, one glass of white, one glass of red, and one glass of yellow, which caused her heart to break. Then they ripped off her fine clothes, laid her on a table, chopped her beautiful body in pieces, and sprinkled salt on it. The poor bride behind the barrel trembled and shook, for she saw well what fate the robbers had planned for her. One of them noticed a gold ring on the murdered girl's little finger. Because it did not come off easily, he took an axe and chopped the finger off. But it flew into the air and over the barrel, falling right into the bride's lap. The robber took a light and looked for it, but he could not find it. Then another one said, Did you look behind the large barrel? But the old woman cried out, Come and eat! You can continue looking in the morning! That finger won't run away from you! Then the robber said, Ah, the old woman is right. They gave up their search and sat down to eat. The old woman poured a sleeping potion into their wine so that they soon lay down in the cellar and fell asleep, snoring. When the bride heard them snoring, she came out from behind the barrel and had to step over the sleepers, for they lay all in rows on the ground. She was afraid that she might awaken one of them, but God helped her, and she got through safely. 
The old woman went upstairs with her, opened the door, and they hurried out of the murder's den as fast as they could. The wind had blown away the trail of ashes, but the peas and lentils had sprouted and grown up and showed them the way in the moonlight. They walked all night, arriving at the mill the next morning. Then the girl told her father everything, just as it had happened. When the wedding day came, the bridegroom appeared. The miller had invited all his relatives and acquaintances. As they sat at the table, each one was asked to tell something. The bride sat still and said nothing. Then the bridegroom said to the bride, Come, sweetheart, don't you know anything? Tell us something, like the others have done. She answered, Then I will tell about a dream. I was walking alone through the woods when finally I came to a house. Inside there was not a single human soul, but on the wall there was a bird in the cage. It cried out, Turn back, turn back, you young bride, you are in a murderer's house. Then it cried the same thing again. Darling, it was only a dream. Then I went through all the rooms. They were all empty, and there was something so eerie in there. Finally, I went down into the cellar, and there sat a very old woman shaking her head. I asked her, Does my bridegroom live in this house? She answered, Alas, poor child, you have gotten into a murderous den. Your bridegroom does live here, but he intends to chop you to pieces and kill you, and then he intends to cook you and eat you. Darling, it was only a dream. After that, the old woman hid me behind a large barrel. I had scarcely hidden myself there when the robbers came home, dragging a girl with them. They gave her three kinds of wine to drink, white, red, and yellow, which caused her heart to stop beating. Darling, it was only a dream. After that, they took off her fine clothes and chopped her beautiful body to pieces on a table, then sprinkled salt on it. Darling, it was only a dream. Then one of the robbers saw that there was still a ring on her ring finger. Because it was hard to get the ring off, he took an axe and chopped off the finger. The finger flew through the air behind the large barrel and fell into my lap. And here is the finger with the ring. With these words, she pulled out the finger and showed it to everyone who was there. The robber, who had during the story become white as chalk, jumped up and tried to escape, but the guests held him fast and turned him over to the courts. Then he and his whole band were executed for their shameful deeds, and they all died happily ever after. Well, at least the horrible band of robbers did. And that is the end of this very grim Halloween Bobcast special episode. Thank you for listening so far. This is a pretty long episode. Uh, thanks so much to Ben Johnson for helping tell some of those selected stories from the Brothers Grimm. Links to Ben's Web World trilogy of books and where you can watch the movie Fanboy will be up on this episode's page of the Bobcast website. And that website is IWantAPartyWithBob.com slash podcast. Please buy Ben's books. Please watch Ben's movie. Thank you very much. Thanks so much to the musical guests of this episode, Body Jar and Murder by Death. You both definitely helped weave the tapestry of stories in this episode into a much more compelling final product. Thank you very much. Thank you once again. Thanks to this episode's sponsors, Wicked Cat Clothing, Sticker Junkie, and Midwife Made Naturals. I appreciate your support of the Bobcast very much. And thanks, of course, to Carolyn Morissette for another fine edition of the Celluloid Catacombs. Very special thanks to Carolyn for talking about that horrible 
Brothers Grimm movie. Oh boy, I'm sorry you had to suffer through that. Carolyn, thank you very, very much. Of course, thank you for listening. Please remember, subscribe, rate, and review the Bobcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Please also consider joining the Bobcast Patreon. It helps me out quite a bit. It is patreon.com slash I want to party with Bob. I hope you enjoyed all the stories. Sometimes they do live happily ever after. Happy Halloween to you and yours. Thank you so much for listening to the I Want to Party with Bob Bobcast. <laughs>